Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Wednesday, December 2nd. We begin with another edition of Ask the Doctor. Dr. Craig Janney, Infectious Disease Specialist from the University of Calgary, answers COVID questions submitted by you, the listeners. Then we head stateside for a look at the latest in the battle against the coronavirus. We speak with Reggie Cicchini, Global News Washington correspondent, who brings us details on the dire situation with over 270,000 COVID-19 deaths to date. Next, it was a bittersweet goodbye. We hear about the journey home to China for our two visiting pandas, Urshun and Da Mao. Jamie Dorgan, Director of Animal Care with the Calgary Zoo, gives us the details of the complex trip. And finally, Pledge Day 2020 takes place this Friday on 770 CHQR. We learn about another charity partner of the Calgary Children's Foundation today, the Connect Teen Program at the Calgary Distress Centre. It is 8.12 now, and it means it's time. It's time to check in with Dr. Craig Janney once again, Associate Professor, Department of Microbiology, Immunology, and Infectious Diseases at the University of Calgary. Good morning, Dr. Janney. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us. You know, we've obviously talked to you multiple times about questions regarding COVID-19. I think a lot of the questions we're seeing now relate to a potential vaccine. So we have uh, lots of both to get through. And uh, are you ready? I think so. Okay, here we go. Uh, This is a question about someone. If someone in the family receives a letter that they were in close contact with someone with COVID, does the entire family have to self-isolate or well as well or just the individual? So if this is somebody in your household, then, you you know, you would assume that the rest of the family has also had close contact. So we're getting to the point where everybody should self-isolate. The instructions, though, were pretty clear that, for example, you could still go to work and you could still send kids to school, but we're asking that the other activities would get dialed back as much as possible. So this is not a full lockdown, not a full quarantine. But, you know, if you think you've been exposed, it's time now to really restrict um, your activities. Mm -hmm. If you're the one with the close contact, Contact, then yes, you've been asked to self-isolate as well. Here's another one. I don't think we've ever had this one. It says, my friend's son lost his taste buds when he got COVID. He said biting into an onion was no different than biting into an apple. Do they know what causes this and how long it lasts on average? No, we don't. And, and you know, we, we do know that people tend to recover these things. I don't have the, the average, uh, you know, time that the, the senses are lost, but this is related also to that loss of smell. So they're, they're, they're connected. Um, but, yeah, this is one of those weird signs. And it's really pointing at the virus is, is infecting more than just our, the skin lining our airways, that they can have other effects. And, again, we've seen the more severe ones, which are also, uh, you know, influencing things like your heart. But this is a weird virus. It's not just a respiratory, and, and there are risks of longer-term things such as heart disease and other problems down the road. Uh, Question, this is an interesting one, actually. Would it be a problem if someone got two different COVID vaccines? So we know we need two doses in a lot of cases. So if dose one was Moderna and dose two was Pfizer, is that a bad thing? Typically not. I mean, we would have to look at the specific vaccines and which ones are approved because there are a couple vaccines that are using the same target, but they'd be presented differently. And we want to make sure that one is not inhibiting the other. But um, of the four vaccines that have gone forward for approval, there are three different platforms or three different strategies, in which case there would be likely no risk in, in receiving multiple, except it's taking vaccines away from other people. So we're going to want to make sure we distribute the right vaccine to the right population and ensure that everybody has access before we, we start thinking about doubling up. Got a two-part question surrounding vaccines here, Dr. Jani. Assuming there's a vaccine available early next year, realistically, how long to get everyone vaccinated and how long until people actually have immunity so we don't have to worry about the constant spread that's now occurring? 
Right. That's a great question. It's probably going to be a very long time before everybody's vaccinated, but we're really hoping that we can get the most at-risk populations vaccinated over the course of a few months. So depending on how many doses we get, and odds are we'll get a bunch because there'll be multiple vaccine suppliers, we can get the most at-risk and the frontline workers vaccinated quickly, and then we'll move into the general public. How long does it take before immunity? Well, again, it depends on the vaccine. Some of these are single dose. So after a week or two, you're probably pretty well protected. Uh, The ones that require two doses, we're looking closer to the area of a month and a half between the first shot and then more or less full protection. So, yeah, it'll be a few months before we roll them out. And then you're looking probably about another month on average before you're really protected. There are going to be a lot of weird rumors that start flying around. And here's one. But you can understand why people are concerned because they just don't know. So this texture says, I've heard the Moderna vaccine alters our DNA. So, no, it doesn't. I, again, I understand the concern because this is a, a different vaccine. It's something using RNA, which is a genetic material. But this RNA has no way of touching our DNA. It's a different compartment of our cells. And the way our body works is we actually make a copy of our own DNA into something called RNA and then use that to make a protein. And when we make the protein, we throw the RNA away. It's a, it's a temporary disposable thing and has no chance to touch our genetic material. So all we're doing is we're giving our body these little copies. We'll make the protein and then we throw that RNA away. Dr. Janney, we have to take a quick break. Can you hold on for one more uh, sure short thing. segment? Excellent. That is infectious disease specialist, Dr. Craig Janney from the University of Calgary. It's 818 now. We're bringing back Dr. Craig Janney, Associate Professor, Department of Microbiology, Immunology, Infectious Diseases at the U of C. Lots more questions for you, Dr. Janney. I don't think we can even get to all of them. We could keep you for hours on end. Um, Here's one. Um, Let's see. Do people who already have had COVID need to get the vaccine or does that not matter? So I think the recommendation right now is yes, they should. And that's because we still are learning how long your natural protection lasts. So if you've had COVID, we do believe you're protected, but it does look like at least a a significant percentage of patients lose that protection by three or four months or or at least a lot of the protection. So if we want to ensure that you're still protected a year from now, a year and a half from now, we're going to want to boost that with a vaccine. Dr. Janney, I saw this online. Uh, probably Monday of this week. So I have to ask this one. I know you've covered it, but some more clarification would be good because I think there's a lot of questions. The uh, uh, social media post said, uh, obviously we still have the flu. Everybody got the flu shots, but have you noticed there's no flu cases? And the COVID numbers are only higher because the cases of the flu are being counted as COVID-19. So, no, uh, we do know that, that the COVID-19 cases are COVID-19. So we're, we're actually testing the genetic material, so the fingerprint. We know not only that it's COVID-19, but we could identify which viral variant it is, so, you know, which generation of, of virus this is in the community. Um, we don't have any influenza yet in Alberta, and that, that is both good news but also a bit of a shock. And there's probably a lot of reasons for that. One is, is we're not spreading viruses as much. You know, people are staying home for the most part. People, we've had a fantastic uptake of vaccine this year, but probably most critical is nobody's traveling. The virus doesn't get here on its own. It comes from the southern hemisphere in the late fall, early winter, and with very few people traveling, there's nobody bringing the virus into Canada. So as a result, it hasn't arrived yet, and if it's not here, it's not spreading in the community. Fascinating. Okay, here's another one, a great question, uh, COVID vaccine related. How much research do you know has been done on pregnant women and newborns? This texture says they grew up in the day of thalidomide babies and I know Mm -hmm. that's a big concern. 
So right now, these vaccines, I, I, I cannot directly comment on pregnant women. Normally, I mean, these are all questions that are asked before somebody's enrolled in a trial. The vaccines are not approved yet for young children. So that would be the next round of approvals. Um, so we will not be, you know, a, a getting a vaccine and administering to everybody until we fully know the safety profiles on all cohorts. So right now, the vaccines, the ones that have been submitted to Health Canada, are for adults 18 and up as well, all the way through to the at-risk groups of the older patients. So there'll be a, a second round coming for younger kids, but that likely will not be in the first approval, at least with the, the vaccines that have been submitted to Health Canada at this point. Here's a fresh one. I was wondering when vaccines begin to roll out, will the authorities recommend we keep wearing a mask until after the shot, until all possible are vaccinated? Yeah, it's a great question. I honestly don't know yet. Uh, we, we, the, the requirements will not be in place until everybody's vaccinated, but we may need to get to a certain level of protection or at least a certain level of protection within the at-risk groups. And again, we have to remember that once a vaccine's approved, it's not an instantaneous process. It will take a couple months to get that vaccine rolled out and then critically to get those who need it protected first. Okay, uh, last question for you. I tested positive for COVID November 29th, just a mild case. Did, though, lose my smell and taste. But when am I considered recovered? When can I leave my house? So the recommendations for that were 14 days, uh, sorry, 10 days after the positive test or symptoms, whichever uh, was the, the shorter time, or sorry, whichever was the longer time period. So if, if you're 10 days past your test, you're good to go. If your symptoms are still lasting, uh, you're still clear to go out of the house. If, however, you, your, your test was, um, you know, well after your symptom onset, then it was uh, 14 days after onset of symptoms. So if you're 10 days out now after your test, you're, you're good to go. Dr. Jenny, thank you so much once again for your time. You're welcome. Take care. You too. That is Dr. Craig Janney, Associate Professor, Department of Microbiology, Immunology and Infectious Diseases at the University of Calgary. 619 on the morning news. Time to head stateside and in the U.S. COVID-19 cases continue to spike now, hovering around 270,000 deaths. And politically, Donald Trump still fighting election results. With the latest, we're joined now by Reggie Cicchini, Global's Washington correspondent. Good morning to you, Reggie. Good morning. These deaths, it's interesting because you look at the numbers and they vary. I've seen numbers of 269 uh, to uh, 276,000 deaths. Are we seeing any change in the increase or are just expected to see more following Thanksgiving? Well, the only change is that they're increasing at a more rapid pace on a daily basis. You know, yesterday's death total was on the approach to 2,500. Uh, there were roughly 177,000 cases in a 24-hour period. But what we're also looking at now in the U.S. is this drastic increase in hospitalizations. There are nearly 100,000 people who are COVID positive in hospitals right now. And what it's doing is putting strain on an already stressed healthcare system. And Reggie, as we move towards January and the president-elect Joe Biden is putting together his uh, pandemic plan, his his team getting ready to to take over and, and hopefully do something to try and put a stop to what's going on. Yeah, look, and now that they're able to get presidential daily briefings, now that they're able to talk to people inside the government, it does make it easier, but it's not going to make it simple. These numbers are not simply going to disappear the Mm -hmm. day that Joe Biden is inaugurated, and that's going to potentially pose problems for the early days of the administration as they work to get vaccines rolled out on a much broader scale. News this morning that in the UK, they could be you know, not just testing, but rolling out the vaccine as early as next week. Have you heard of any timeline in the US for an approval and uh, the use of a vaccine? 
Well, I mean, look, the FDA director was called into the White House yesterday to kind of face a scorning on why it's taking so long. But the FDA pushing back, saying, look, there's thousands of pages of research that needs to be looked at. It's going to take a little while longer. So we're hearing within the next week or potentially two weeks before the approval comes out and then vaccines going into the arms of healthcare workers and long term care facility residents by the end of December. But again, it's up to states as to who's actually going to get this first. This is just kind of directive from the CDC. Reggie, before we let you go, want to touch on the, the pre-pardoning discussion that's going on in the U.S. that the, Donald Trump is thinking about pardoning, pre-pardoning, Donald Jr., Ivanka, Jared Kushner, Rudy Giuliani. They haven't even been accused of anything yet. So what's behind all that? They haven't yet. Look, the president's been talking about pardons for the last couple of weeks. We should note that legal experts say that a pardon can only happen during a set window of, of time. They can't just say, look, you're, you're pre-pardoned for anything you may do down the road. So if there is a pardon that's granted, what we have to remember is that's going to force somebody to admit guilt to something that was pushed back on repeatedly by the Trump administration, whether it's Rudy Giuliani, whether it's Trump's children or his son-in-law, or whether it's the president himself. There are, you know, under 50 days until inauguration, the word pardon is going to be thrown around wildly mm. over the next several weeks, even as the president pushes back on this being fake news. Reggie, thank you so much for your time this morning. Thank you. That is Reggie Cicchini, Global's Washington correspondent. 719 on the morning news, and after two months of waiting, a pair of Calgary Zoo's world-famous residents have arrived safely back in China. Jamie Dorgan, the zoo's director of animal care, joins us now with more on the journey on this incredible trip. Good morning to you, Jamie. Good morning. Can you paint us a picture? Because, you know, I think a lot of us saw the images of the plane on the tarmac ready. So uh, how many people traveled with Urshan and Damao? And uh, give us an idea of what it looked like inside the plane. Yeah, we had uh, two of our panda attendants uh, traveling with them along the, the full trip. So um, these are both people that have worked with them the whole time they've been here at the Calgary Zoo. Uh, obviously, a lot of other people involved leading up to it and along the way and at different stops. But, uh, but yeah, the two of them were with them the full time. So basically, uh, we got them loaded here the night before in Calgary into uh, at, at the airport where they have a, a animal lounge right here at our own airport where they could be comfortable set up on a cargo pallet and then ready to go. So um, our staff were with them just to make sure they're comfortable and have everything they need, get them in the plane. And then um, obviously they sit in a different area of the plane, but once they're up and in the air, they can get up and go check on them, feed them, make sure they have everything they need. So, so yeah, it was, uh, it, was a, it was a very good trip. And I understand that the, uh, the pandas did three really important things pretty much throughout the journey, and that was they slept, they ate, and they passed gas. Is that correct? It must have been a nasty smell on that plane. Yeah, it's pretty standard uh, <laughs> behavior overall, which is great. We love it when the animals are comfortable when they're in different situations, right? So for them to be acting completely normally, which is lots of sleeping and, and eating and uh, all the things that come afterwards with the eating. Um, <laughs> the you know, those are all, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Those are all great things. So, yeah, the trip was really good for them. I understand, you know, this is uh, something that we've watched, but we, we are in COVID times. The attendants uh, that uh, traveled with the pandas are, are still in China. Is that right? That's right, yeah. It took us a very, very long time, months and months of preparation to make sure we had everything in order that everybody was comfortable with, uh, obviously uh, for China, but also on our end, just making sure we felt our people were going to be safe and have everything they need to be able to travel safely. So they are there and they are in quarantine. I was just messaging uh, with them last late last night and they're, they're settled in. They're being treated really well, but, you know, each stuck in their own hotel room for mm -hmm. 14 days and then uh, hopefully not long after that, they'll be on their way home. I know all of Calgary, Jay 
Jamie was sad to see the pandas go, but without being able to get them the proper food supply, it just had to be done. So what happens in China now on the other side? Is it, was they, did, were they ready for them to return? I know it's obviously really early, but they had the proper enclosure and everything like that. Yeah, for sure, for sure. They have lots of great facilities for pandas uh, in China. The, um, you know, obviously it wasn't the plan, but, you know, we've been talking about it for, we, we told them in, in April, basically, that we felt it was the best thing to do because we were concerned about uh, our supply of bamboo and our ability to have that on an ongoing basis. So, uh, you know, we had a great team of people that were able to keep getting them bamboo during during that, those months while we worked on all the plans and everything else. And then the team in China prepared their quarantine facilities and got that updated. There were lots of... Uh, humps to overcome in terms of, you know, what is there any risk to the pandas with COVID and, and what's that transport going to look like and what's the quarantine going to look like on the other end. But they're all set up at uh, Chongqing Zoo, which is where Urshan is from, and they'll quarantine there. And then afterwards, uh, Damao, the male, will go back to the Chengdu Panda Base where they'll be all set up for him there as well. Thanks for the update, Jamie. We appreciate it. You bet. Thank you. That is Jamie Dorgan, Director of Animal Care from the Calgary Zoo. Nine oh nine on the morning news with Pledge Day, our seven seventy CHQR Radiothon being this Friday. Dave McIver has been interviewing some of the charities that receive funds from the dollars you donate. Today we hear about the Connect Teen program run through the distress center. Pledge Day here at Global News Radio 770 CHQR and support of the Calgary Children's Foundation is just two days away. And I've been spending the last two weeks chatting with some of the great charities to give our listeners an idea of what exactly the dollars go towards. I spoke with two people from the Connect Teen program run through the Distress Centre. Ashley Devera McCayan is the full-time youth coordinator at the Distress Centre, and I asked Ashley what the Connect Teen program at the Distress Centre does. Connect Teen is a peer support crisis line here in Calgary. We serve uh, youth within Calgary and area, so essentially um, when a youth doesn't really know where to start or begin with when it comes to their mental health, they're needing support and they're just not sure who to talk to or who to, who to turn to, uh, Connect Teen is available to them. And what's really great about uh, the Connect Teen service and what's really unique is that um, from uh, our understanding and like our research that we're one of the only uh, crisis support lines uh, that are able to support uh, youth um, and that youth is also the ones answering the lines. Uh, so super relatable for the people who contact us um, because a lot of the times uh, if some if a youth is in crisis and they're going through different experiences, it's very likely that uh, our um, Connect team um, volunteers are probably going through something similar. So really easy for them to connect the dots together. So we have a phone that's available 24 um, seven. So we have phone calls. And then we also have chat um, and text available as well. And then within that same time period, that's when the Connect Team volunteers answer it. Um, we also have email and then we have something called Pure Talk. Sean Chima is one of those volunteers Ashley talked about with the Connect Team program. And I asked Sean what kind of things volunteers do while working with Connect Team. I basically provide peer support, like Ashley said, to teenagers such as myself. Uh, anyone that calls in that has any form of a crisis, no crisis is too big or small, and would love to talk to them. Um, I have talked to individuals regarding suicide. I've also talked to individuals who just wanted to share their how their day went. So I'm here to talk to anyone about anything. And as long as it makes your day better and you feel better after the conversation, that's the goal. 
And that's the approach to every single person that calls in. Safety is the first number one thing. So we try to ensure that you are safe before you talk. So uh, a lot of callers do call in and they're struggling with suicide or self-harm while they're calling or before they called or they're thinking about doing it after they call, talk to us. And we always try to ensure that they're safe. And then once we've built up that report that, hey, you're safe, you can talk to us. We know that you will be safe while we're having our conversation. Nothing will happen in between. Then we like to indulge into their emotions and feelings and, and kind of help them unwind some of the thoughts that are kind of clustered right and yeah so safety would be the number one priority and then after that we really try to help and take let them see wherever they want to go with the conversation now what sean does is completely anonymous he doesn't know who he's talking to on the other line but i asked him if there was a story that stuck out in his mind while helping someone who had called in for support one story that really just sticks out to me is we'll call this person sam uh sam called in and they were having thoughts of suicide, really struggling with isolation, um, going through a really tough time in their life. And they were on medication as well. And they're telling me all these problems that are going on. And this call lasted for maybe about, I think, an hour, uh, two hours. Throughout the call, we're kind of breaking down. Sam's telling me about their hobbies, telling me about how they feel that they're being treated and everything. And my job as a connecting volunteer is kind of like work through those emotions and help them like express themselves right and it's really difficult for teenagers who are having thoughts of suicide also practicing self-harm like sam was that to share those emotions because no one's really asked them to go into depth with those right so that was a really heartfelt conversation that we had for about half an hour and then after the half hour um sam became more comfortable with me and they started sharing uh the, all these amazing qualities that they have there were um, sam was an amazing writer and then they started telling me about this uh, these cool ideas that they had and it was insane to think about how like a teenager had like these crazy crazy stories that they wanted to write and how they had like these movie ideas and the thing was that we just I'm, I'm not really giving them any solution i never provided sam like hey this is what you're doing wrong this is what you're doing right i just kept like uh giving hey this is amazing you have some cool thoughts tell me something about like and we i think for the two hour conversation that we had for a solid one and a half hour we just talked about their crazy ideas some the sam had a story that they shared with me and it was insane to think that two hours ago we were here talking about suicide self-harm isolation all these dark things and then at the end of the two-hour conversation we had like sparked a light all left and right and that darkness was all of a sudden gone or it's kind of starting to disappear and it really it's crazy to think that how with a simple conversation with no solutions provided you can help someone just see how beautiful they are and how amazing and the skills that they have which can be really hard to see for some teenagers which i understand and that story just stands out to me because i've never had that change in such a short amount of time and seen and even though i can see sam uh through the phone i could feel their smile. Lastly, I wanted to ask Ashley how the funds raised on Pledge Day help out the Connecting program. We just want to make sure that the program continues running. So a lot of it goes towards training. Our volunteers uh, train for about 60 plus hours before they're even allowed to go um, onto the line solo. And then just looking at that in months, usually it takes about one to two months sometimes three months to get them on the line solo so we have to make sure that they are fully equipped for all of the crisis well for the majority of the crisis that they can possibly uh, experience on the lines um so a lot of the uh 
the funding goes to that. Um, also, a lot of the promotion um, goes towards, uh, a lot of the money goes towards promotion, just because people also don't really know about connecting. So we try to put our money into, you know, going to schools, making our presentations better. Um, also making sure that we have like promotional items that we're able to provide you. Um, I'm pretty sure not many people just want to like pick up a card and like put it in their, their bag. So you have to look at things that are relevant to youth nowadays so that they would be willing to take our information so that they have it available uh, to them when they need it. So like, for example, um, some of our promotional items is like web blockers uh, for your laptop uh, so that, you know, they're more inclined to pick it up and then at least, you know, they're working on something, it's on their computer, they see that it's available to them. Um, and yeah, that's kind of like where the money goes to there. If you or anyone you know is struggling, you can visit calgaryconnecting.com. You can also call 24-7 to 403-264-8336 or text daily to 587-333-2724. Pledge Day kicks off at 8 a.m. on Friday morning and runs through till 6 in the evening. I'm Dave McIver with Global News Radio, 770 CHQR. We're looking forward to it. We're going to be here and we'd love you to join us for this special day once a year, Pledge Day 2020 on Friday.